0: It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Well, how with the fact that there are over 2,200 billionaires in today's world who have a collective worth of $9 trillion. How would that impact your approach to development for your nonprofit or NGO? Today's guest has been studying the changing landscape of philanthropy and the desire by a growing number of billionaires to invest and support efforts that will have the most positive impact on society's biggest challenges. On today's episode, we'll examine how nonprofit organizations can better position themselves to attract and effectively secure major philanthropic gifts to their most important initiatives. William Foster is my guest today on the Nonprofit Leadership Show. He recently co-wrote a special edition collection of research papers through the Bridgespan Group, published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review, called Unleashing Philanthropy's Big Bets for Social Change. William Foster is a partner in Bridgespan's Boston office and the firm's head of consulting. Enjoy today's show. William, it's so good to have you on the show. Thanks for calling in from Boston today. There has been a major shift occurring regarding the largest transfer of wealth from one generation to the next in today's world. Additionally, there are more billionaires today than ever in history, many of whom want to support social change initiatives. All this means there's potentially more money available for nonprofit organizations who are looking for funding from major donors like these. From all of your research so far, William, give us a quick overview of the key data points right now when it comes to these large donors, specifically as it relates to nonprofit leaders. Talk about your research and what you're discovering.
1: Great, thank you very much. From um, it's true, as you pointed out, that there's an enormous growth in wealth in this country, which has implications for philanthropy, and of course is is. Uh, is, is something that attracts attention and concern more broadly. In terms of the, the 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 trends in philanthropy themselves and what it means for nonprofit leaders, there are a few things that uh, that in our research we would point out. And I think it's worth saying that that at BridgeSpan, what we work on is trying to help philanthropists put more money in to the most challenging types of social change problems. Whether that's in education or the environment or public health, and really trying to help them find ways to do that effectively. And what we see going on in the landscape is probably, uh, probably four major things. One is the growth itself. You cited some of the numbers about the nine trillion dollars in wealth held by, by, uh, by billionaires. Uh, that, uh, that continues to go up, and as a result, the amount of giving itself is going up because in, In the United States, now in India and a number of places, giving is truly a a, a cultural value. And so there is an enormous round of of giving. The the second thing that I would say is is going on there is that uh, that there are are both ambitions and concerns about that. So increasing numbers of the wealthiest people feel as though there are social problems that are – not being addressed effectively by government where there's really a desire to make an enduring difference again think about about the environment think about uh, a lot of things about democracy in the United States now around development uh in the global south and the flip side is particularly in western developed countries there's questions about whether whether uh the levels of wealth that exist are uh are, are supportive of our democracy, right? Is a vibrant civil society funded by very, in part by very wealthy people an enhancer or a challenge to to our democracy? So there's a a real debate. How does community voice uh, and community interest effectively flow into informing philanthropy decisions? That's the second thing. The third I would say is that there's an enormous amount of of innovation going on in terms of forms of giving, right? Think about about a hundred Plus, years ago, when Rockefeller and Carnegie set up the first institutions in the United States, they were institutions with former presidents of universities as, as the heads of the philanthropy, staffed by people deeply expert in each of their program areas. We're seeing an increasing number of the new philanthropists set up much leaner operations with smaller numbers of teams uh, that are that are more generalists, uh, looking to be investors as much as program designers, and using a mix of tools. Uh, for-profit impact investing, setting up 501c4s that can do a broader range of political activity as well as traditional uh, grant making, and then the final thing that I would say uh, is 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 going on in, um, in in philanthropy and giving is a real uh, is, is a real uh, emphasis and desire to to simply give more the potential. Is so much uh, the potential and stated desire is so much greater than it is now. Uh, in in two of our recent publications, uh, there are statistics that I think are, are are important to note. One is that while many donors have signed up for the Giving Pledge and 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 have as an intention to give away half of their wealth in their lifetime, right now the wealthiest 2,000 families in the U.S. give away 1.2 percent of their wealth each year. And while the absolute numbers are very high, that's not keeping up with the growth of their wealth. So there's just a huge gap in the full potential of what uh, can be given and, and, and many donors say they wanna give and what actually is flowing. And then the other is how much is going to the toughest social change problem. So 80% of donors state that either the singular or, the, or one of the couple dominant reasons they wanna give are things like education and health, uh, not simply the alma mater or the institutions that are part of their lives, but only 20% of the biggest gifts go to non-institutional um, uh, recipients.
0: No, I love this in the sense of uh, I love having stats. I think a lot of nonprofit leaders like to have uh, actually evidence-based data you know, at their fingertips to know how is philanthropy changing. So that's my next question, really, is in general, across the board, you've already kind of touched on it, but how is philanthropy changing overall from what you've studied? And specifically, how are these wealthy individuals shaping that change?
1: Well, the, uh, there just seems to be, uh, um, I think what's most noticeable is that we are an enormous moment of change, and it's harder to know exactly what's going to To come out at the other side, and the elements of that change, which you've touched on, are one is just the amount of money flowing is enormous, and if it gets closer to its full potential, would be um, would be five or ten times what's already flowing. So just the amount of that is enormous, and and for nonprofit leaders uh, uh, listening, many have have, will have experienced uh, a flattening of donations from more modest givers, and the, and increases from the wealthiest end. There's just a skew, whether that's in Jewish federations or um, or or, or uh, Planned Parenthood. That, that, that there's a there's a shift that that is going on there. You know, the second change is the mix of things that are being funded. Uh, even though uh, advocacy campaigns and uh, narrative change, things that are uh, even though those are still a modest portion of total giving they're getting increased uh increased funding and you know, as I said on the third, the fact that 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 new foundations have leaner and leaner teams means that that the, that the center of gravity for problem-solving is more likely to be in the hands of the nonprofit leader. Uh, And and that's a healthy thing for the sector.
0: Excellent. No, it's very, very powerful. Now, in your opinion, what are the implications for this change, and how do nonprofit leaders in particular do about this change?
1: Well, one of the things that that we get asked about the most is some of our publications and our work on this notion of becoming big bettable, right? If the number of significant philanthropic gifts is growing, which it is – growth it grows um, over the last two stock market cycles it's grown by fifty percent uh or more uh the just the total number of ten million dollar plus uh gifts has grown. So one of the questions we get a lot is is what would make us more uh big bettable? And I think the biggest implication for for nonprofits about this is that is that when non the nonprofits that secure the largest gifts typically have a breakthrough in how donors see the the potential for them to actually create an enduring change. It's it's less about the 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 charisma of the the leader themselves, and it's less about the 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 particular way the problem they're addressing stands out from the other pressing problems of society. And this is a bit of a of a tricky dilemma when we've worked with clients because, because most of the time what nonprofit leaders are trying to communicate is to really get a donor to understand the the, the depth and importance of the challenges that they work on. To really uh connect someone to something that may not be a part of their life and that's very important uh but there are but there's unfortunately we live in a world where there's many problems of that nature and uh and what we've seen when we looked at we looked at all of the the nonprofits that had received very significant gifts and looked at uh the the pattern of giving that led up to that gift and what you actually see is the biggest gifts don't come from new donors it's not uh, it's not someone that's met uh, at a cocktail party or is connected uh, by a friend and in one conversation a big gift arises. The biggest gifts were typically the fifth gift. That was the average in our, in, 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 the, in looking at all the gifts given in the U.S. It was the fifth gift given. But what was, what was most interesting about it was that the big gift was a 10x step up over the most recent prior gift. So it isn't this pattern of slow growth. It was that someone had been engaged with a nonprofit leader over multiple years, believed in the, in the critical importance of their work, believed in how the the the, the leader themselves could make a change, and then at some point saw the opportunity for what that nonprofit could do, that that just stood out, and and they were willing to back uh, something in a very big way and stepped up to this ten times level, and. For most nonprofits, it, uh, it's very challenging to step out of the day-to-day. Funds don't cover all of the expenses. The problem is bigger than what they have the capability to address. Funders give all of these gifts with, with with restrictions. Government donors have all kinds of of limitations. It's this it's it's very hard to get out of looking at the next three months or the next six months. But the times where there's been this breakthrough. Um, nonprofit leaders have been able to do that. A very
0: good example. That's going to be very helpful, I think, particularly for those who are in charge of fundraising for nonprofits. Now, it's a little bit more of a philosophical question, I guess. Uh, Do you believe the most effective way to address society's biggest challenges should be met through private philanthropy or by governments or perhaps a little bit of a combination of both? What do do you want to say about that philosophically?
1: Well, so it it, it is a philosophical question, and you can look at at the way it plays out in, in history. And the United States has a different history than most other in most other countries, but 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 the kind of philanthropy that we're talking about here is actually a very small percent of all the money going to to address tough social problems. Government is by far the biggest funder of things that address poverty uh, and uh, and education and 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 health. The, the biggest categories we think about. Uh, there are some categories like environmental advocacy where where charity itself is uh, as much, is much is bigger than government. For for obvious reasons, but even within those categories, still today, average citizens who write hundred-dollar checks vastly um, are vastly larger than what billionaires are giving. There's still much more wealth in the hands of average citizens than the than the small number of the most elite, and that's a really and that's a really healthy thing. But I think the specific answer to your question is that that there is a combination, right? That that if you look at you know the history of our country from the 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 earliest days of uh, you know the founding of the United States, when Benjamin Franklin, the, the the first millionaire in the United States, funded the first fire station and the first public library, to the civil rights movement, where uh, where the NAACP Legal Defense Fund was backed by several significant philanthropists to. More contemporary, uh, more contemporary social changes that are across the political spectrum from marriage equality to, uh, to welfare reform. Most of the major social changes in the United States succeeded because they were at the intersection of three things. One was deep popular desire for some kind of change, widespread citizen desire for some kind of change, some type of philanthropist willing to take risks and put money uh, into an uncertain change uh, that that gave the capital to hire people to experiment with things, and then eventually government action. That it's, um, the laboratory is really a mix of those three forces.
0: Hey, everybody. Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Show. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other interviews with fascinating guests that I've previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org, and there you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country, even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I think you'll really enjoy those interviews. I also want to make sure you knew about a new feature. Um, We want to give you more content, and we'd like to get that information to you. And all you have to do is give us your email. When you go to that website, you can put your email address in that first box you'll see on the front page, and you'll be added to our monthly email update. In addition to some great content, you'll see the latest uh, podcast shows it will be actually sent right to your inbox, and that way you'll never miss any of the great content on this show. The other thing I'll mention to you is if you have questions or comments or you'd like to be on the show, do not hesitate to email me. I'd love to hear from you. Just do that through our website, my email, rob at ccofpc.org. Well, thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Now it's I think that's a really good approach, and I happen to agree with you on that. Now, you've already kind of mentioned one example at least, but share another example of a nonprofit that is successfully attracting these large donors to do significant work.
1: Sure. I'm happy, um, I'm happy to do it. There's a, a nonprofit that's based in Los Angeles right now called The Bail Project, and it works on um, one of the great injustices uh, of society, which is people serving time in jail because they are too poor to afford uh, bail. So, an enormous percent of the growth of incarcerated people in, in the United States has been with people that are before trial, that aren't yet convicted of anything. And and unfortunately there are a lot of folks who um, are 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 put in jail for for things that are not uh that are not dangerous crimes, but for which bail is five hundred dollars or a thousand dollars, and if you can't make that bail, you have two choices. You can either sit for what in a city like Baltimore is an average of 28 days of time to await trial, or you can plead guilty, whether you're guilty or not, uh, and get out. And if you sit in jail for 28 days, uh, for many people, you can lose your house, you can lose your kids, you can lose your job. Uh, The consequences are devastating, and it really is over this small amount of money. And this group called The Bail Project, which uh, started in uh, New York City and did phenomenal work there, is in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma, and is in a variety of places now and growing rapidly. Uh, is able to identify the, the the large portion of people that are uh, that are held in custody on bail that uh, that don't pose any type of flight risk. They're going to come back to court and simply bails them out. The intervention is as simply as paying the $500 and then provide some support like email re- text reminders of court dates and things like that to help people show up back in court, and it's simply getting people out, and because people turn up for bail, the Bail Project gets the money that it spends back to use for the next person and can cycle through the money a number of times a year to to increase the number of people get out. It's a remarkably simple intervention that changes people's lives.
0: That's really interesting. And and you have a great article that I referenced earlier in the podcast. And you point out, among other things in your article, that too often nonprofits focus too much on emphasizing, quote, the enormity of the problem and the moral imperative to tackle it rather than focus on the specific results and the specific and logical path to accomplish their goal. Explain more about your thoughts behind this statement.
1: We think there's five characteristics that really have been true of, of the nonprofits that have uh been able to secure enormous funds, whether it's Splash or the Bail Project or a number of others. And the two that are focused on most and uh and most common are the first and fifth, which are a problem that really matters, and a leadership or leadership team that is incredibly capable and impressive. And when when we've worked with nonprofit organizations, frequently 80% of the conversation focuses on those two things. And you know, thankfully, we're in a society um, uh, globally where there are enormously talented teams of nonprofit leaders uh, addressing problems. Sadly, we're in, in societies where there, there there are lots of problems. But those two, the first and fifth characteristic are things that, that donors are exposed to with some frequency. The the reason that we say that, that too much emphasis there uh, is 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 not success is not helpful in securing significant donations is again because it's almost um it's almost impossible to uh to show why one social problem matters more than another. It's apples and oranges. It's not like like comparing companies that have different, you know, rates of return, how important is it to work on uh on the strength of democracy around the world versus the environment? How important is it to think about solving a medical problem versus the educational trajectory of a young person? They're not um, they're not comparable. And for many nonprofit leaders who spend who spend, you know, 80 hours a week working on a particular issue, that is the purpose of their life. And 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 the natural human temptation is to say, if the donor could only see it through my eyes, they would they would support us uh you know in the fullness of their wealth. And donors see many problems through many people's eyes. So really while a nonprofit absolutely has to do that, and that's the whole uh you know, the whole point is to is to address the most important social problems, the the thing that um that that donors and and you know many nonprofit leaders themselves struggle with is this question of you know where can we really make a lasting difference right it's 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 unfortunately easy to find places to do important work uh, addressing important problems but where can a, a difference really be enduring and and on projects like Splash working on clean water like the Bail Project which I mentioned uh, you know really Flipping a dynamic of you know pretrial incarceration, you can see the enduring difference that will be made and the role that philanthropy has to play in that right philanthropy isn 't just a you know a, a, rounding, um, a rounding error on something the government is trying to address it can spark you know a real change, and those are the kinds of breakthrough opportunities that um, that attract attention and and the kind of thing if you are a nonprofit leader thinking about dedicating decades of your life to a problem uh you also want to think about I mean there's a nice alignment in that if you are if if your gift to the problem is t- is years of of time and dedication which is which you know which we all have in limited capacity uh thinking about what are the ways that uh that, that the work can create enduring change that um, that actually gets closer to the scale of the problem is the most important question that a nonprofit leader can ask themselves as well.
0: Let's go to social enterprise a bit. Do you think that social enterprise is changing the way nonprofits do fundraising? Um, and perhaps another way, should nonprofits change their fundraising strategy because of the growing momentum of social impact companies? Perhaps speak to that a bit.
1: Social enterprise is influencing the conversation in the nonprofit world enormously. And there are types of nonprofit activities that can be uh that can be addressed better potentially by social enterprises. Especially if something has a revenue model and a profit margin, uh the question of scaling it and growing it becomes becomes less challenging and that's fantastic, right? In education technology, in um, in, in, in in environmental efficiency and environmental energy generation, in banking the unbanked across the global south global south. Um, increasing the productivity of agriculture in the global south, there are whole categories where social enterprise is able to perform exceptionally well uh, and and for them, philanthropy may be uh, an important catalyst to get going, and there's very particular uh, pitches there are also whole other categories of nonprofit activity that are never going to have a positive economic margin and so and so while There can be a temptation to look to start earned income ventures and the rest. Uh, It can be a distraction. So I worry a little bit, frankly, about about social enterprise becoming um, you know a mantra that that uh, uh, that seems more like a requirement than a really great option in some spheres of activity.
0: Last question here: What does the future hold for nonprofits in the future of fundraising and development from your research?
1: So as with uh, as with many things, the key elements of fundraising around Relationship building and and uh, and connecting donors to problems that may not be on their radar screen in powerful ways that that open their eyes. All of those things, you know, have been true and in some and will likely be true forever. So, so you know, the the future of nonprofit fundraising and development is probably ninety percent it's past, but the ten percent that seems to be that seems to be changing is. Uh, is I would say a few things. One is that there really is a growth of giving from the the set of a, of the very wealthiest people whose wealth is increasing faster than than society's wealth on average. And uh, and and one of the real opportunities is to have more of that flow back to society's social, tough social problems. And nonprofits have an opportunity to be a channel for that. Uh, so focusing on how to effectively unleash those funds uh is something that will continue to become a bigger opportunity for nonprofits and a bigger challenge for uh for, for our society to figure out how to do that. And the third is the continued evolution of nonprofit work as being viewed as uh a charitable activity where the intention is the thing in the foreground to genuine avenues for for making a difference on problems, where impact is in the foreground is something that will continue to grow, and nonprofits will uh, have both the opportunity and the burden of trying to to demonstrate that more.
0: Well, my guest again today has been William Foster. He is a partner in Bridgespan's Boston office and the firm's head of consulting. He recently co-wrote a special edition collection of research papers through the Bridgespan Group published in the Stanford Social Innovation Review called Unleashing Philanthropy's Big Bets for Social Change. So William, thank you so much for sharing so much data with us today. I have a feeling for my listeners, they're going to want to find out more about this research and more about your group. So where would you send them if they want to find out more about you or the Bridgespan group?
1: Well, the best place is to just go to our website, uh, uh, bridgespan.org.
0: That's great. Okay, perfect. William, thank you again for all you're doing to help us as nonprofit leaders do a better job, particularly when it comes to development and fundraising. Thanks for being on the show. Thank you very much. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep making your world better.